All right, happy Sabbath, church. Good to see you one and all. Dr. T has a few words now uh, for our friend Richard here that he'll share. This is uh, Richard's favorite uh, verse. I want to read it for you this morning. It's found in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. Appreciation of the mystery. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. 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 Can you say amen to that passage? Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, we have Richard Stanley here with us. And uh, he's been studying with Charles for how long now? Almost a year. Almost a year. Almost a year. And uh, Brother Richard's been coming to church here for, for a little while, but he made this decision. He wanted to do it at the right time. He wanted his family to be here. And so we're so glad you are. Um, if you're family members, would you stand for us, please? All right. And if you know Richard, give him a big wave out there. He's, he's, yeah, many of you do. Many of you do. We're, we're so excited uh, for this day, this baptism, where he's uh, in a public way acknowledging his position in Christ and wanting to live for him with all his heart and mind and soul and strength. Richard, did you have any words you wanted to share with us? No, I'm just thankful to be here. Thankful that God woke me up this morning. And uh, I'm just glad to be here and I'm glad that he sent me a great teacher. Sent me a great teacher. And I said, this is place for me. <laughs> and so wherever is a great teacher for you, that's where you should be at. And so that's where I'm here and I'm making that transition now. So I want to go forward. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Charles, would you like to? Yeah, I just wanted to share a little bit. You know, um, Richard sent in a card um, about a year ago or so for Bible lessons, and I showed up at his door, and uh, we uh, scheduled to meet at the library, and just talking to him initially, I found out that he went to this church when Taj Pakalib was mm. doing a meeting series mm. here, um, and I think that was in 2017, if I'm not mistaken, um, and he went to a lot of those meetings, um, and then... Um, I think he went with a buddy or something like that. But anyways, we reconnected, started doing Bible studies, and uh, we started learning things together, and Richard has just been experiencing blessings. One of the things that we did too is we weren't just doing Bible studies, we were praying about different things. He needed a hearing aid, and in the process of time, he got a hearing aid, and some other things came through. And so, the Lord has been good to him. And then there was one other thing that happened. Um, recently, some have been a part of field work. He was one of those individuals that had a part of his house worked on, and he's very thankful for that. And, he, and you know who you are for those who helped uh, Richard out. And he's been hugely blessed by God's giving grace in his life. 
and through the people that are here in this church. He's also benefited from the food drive. And he gets food, and not only does he uh, get food for himself, but he gives it to his friends and family that need it. And so he's been very appreciative of all the good things God has been bringing into his life. And I'm so glad of what God's doing today in his life. And um, give him a new start, and a new beginning, and a new identity in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And as part of our family, we know Richard is already a big blessing to us. Yes. And so uh, this time we will do the baptism. And now, Richard, because of your love for God and your desire to serve him with all your heart and mind and soul and strength and tell the world the good news. Yes, Lord. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Yes, Lord. Richard said, thank you, Jesus. And that's what we say, too. Amen? Let's hear an amen out there. We're so glad to have Richard as a part of our new family. We'll be welcoming him in in a special way next week. So um, if you're going to miss any week, it should have been this week. And you're already here. So come back next week when we especially welcome him in. All right. God bless you. Good morning. I hope you can hear me. Yep, you can hear me now. Wow, this is my first time um, being up here. And this is big compared to where I'm from in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Long, long time ago when I used to live there. So what an honor and privilege it is for me to be here today to sing with you. I'm gonna be sharing with you a song called No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus. And this song has brought me through some tough times. And I hope it'll be encouragement to you. Before I sing, I need to let you know my name is <clears throat> Once again, Sean Kellogg, and I teach kindergarten, first, and second grade at Battle Creek Academy, and it's a joy. And, and it's just so much fun every day to go to school. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> so I'm really happy to be here with you today. Thank you for having me.
Well, good morning and happy Sabbath. Good to see you one and all here today. We're doing something a little different, as you could probably tell. I was recently reading through the book of Ruth in my devotions and just was really being blessed. And so I thought that we would do something with the book of Ruth. I asked the students from Battle Creek Academy, if they would do a dynamic reading of that book. And so they're going to read the chapter, then I'm going to do some comments, then they're going to read the next chapter, and that's how it will go all the way to the end. And then at the end, we will, after my last reading, we will sing our closing hymn. Ruth occurs immediately after Proverbs and before the Song of Song in most Hebrew Bibles. That's an interesting placement because it places it just after Proverbs 31, right? The righteous or virtuous woman. And just before the Song of Songs, which of course is the marriage of all marriages. The Bible tells us that God is agape, that he is love. We've talked about this often in this church. But probably the closest Old Testament word to the New Testament Greek word agape is hesed, the Hebrew word hesed. And that is the concept of God's loving kindness. It's kind of one of those words, it's hard to get a grasp on it. It means loving kindness, it means his goodness. It, it takes on several different shades. It's such a beautiful uh, concept. 
And this hesed or agape, we often say it's given to the undeserving, but think about it. It's actually poured out upon those who deserve punishment. It's a love that goes beyond human comprehension and goes to the very mind of God. And so, sit tight, enjoy the reading and hearing of God's word, and may his Holy Spirit make deep impressions on you. So think about this. This is more than just a grandma finally getting grandkids, right? I mean, that would be a cool story, but it's so much more. There's deep underlying meaning of redemption, this nearest of kin. This is Jesus, right, coming and becoming one of us. And this throwing of this garment that is prayed for. That has to do with the righteousness of Christ. And under his wings, again, a symbol of God's protection. So as we go through, be looking for those nuances of the story of redemption as we go through. In the days when the judges were in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. The two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good, good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from play, the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. We pick up the story now as we're on the way. Hi. Hi, my name is Naomi, and these are my two daughters-in-law. Now, daughters, you have been wonderful to me, but go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. No, please, mother, we want to go with you to your people. Oh, girls, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, you return to your parents' home, for I'm too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I want to get married tonight and bear sons, then what, would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has called me to suffer. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Naomi said to her, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. Go. 
No, mother, please don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and I will be buried there. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death separate us. Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her. She said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? Is this the same woman that we knew, the, life of, the wife of Elimelech? The woman asked. This is amazing. Don't call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Even for the believer, life is filled with mixed blessings and hardship, right? Light and darkness, but sometimes life goes from bad to worse. And yet it's so often in those times that God shows himself most visibly and his great love shines the brightest. If you look through the veil of sorrow, you will see him right by your side offering comfort, hope, and meaning, promising to never leave you or forsake you. Our story begins in the time of the judges, a time that calls to mind Israel's darkness, apostasy, moral failure, and oppression. There was a famine in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of food or house of bread. So in the house of food, there was no food, but things would get much more empty for Naomi. Naomi and her husband Elimelech and their two sons, Malon and Kilion, would move from Bethlehem to Moab, the land of the enemy. There in that land, Naomi's husband would die and then her boys would marry heathen Moabite women and after 10 years of having no children to carry on the family name, they would die. In the meantime, God is behind the scenes and he's up to something great. He is showing his hesed or his loving kindness. The famine has turned around in Bethlehem and Naomi hears the news and prepares to return home. As they are out on the road heading north with the Dead Sea to their west, they're on something called the King's Highway. Although it's a well-traveled road, no travel is particularly safe for three women traveling alone. In the midst of this, we see the unselfishness of God through Naomi as she says to her daughters-in-law, go back. May the Lord Yahweh show his kindness, his chesed, his agape to you as you have shown in commitment to your husbands who are dead and to me. She kissed them, said goodbye. They said, no, we will not go. Naomi said, in essence, look, I am a dead end. Staying with me offers you nothing but an empty and bitter life. But now it's Ruth's turn to show the goodness of God. After Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, we see that Ruth clung to her like a husband and wife are to cling to one another for better or for worse. Naomi was right. She had nothing of value to offer to Ruth. But remember, agape, or hesed, does not love because of the value of the object, 
but it creates value in the object. God would connect himself to a lost race of sinners, dead ends, to save them. Ruth said, no, I will not leave you or forsake you. Sound familiar? The Holy Spirit says to you and I today, I will not leave you or forsake you. Ruth says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. But notice she goes beyond that and says, where you die, I will die. In the Hebrew idiom, it is almost as if she said, I will die with you as a part of you. So not only would she be with her until the very end of her life, but she would stay afterwards. After she died, she would stay there until she died. God's agape love goes the extra mile. And then she seals her promise with an oath. Ah, oh, that sounds familiar in the gospel, doesn't it? You see, back in this time of history, when the Hebrews wanted to seal a promise that they had made, they would cut an animal in half and they would walk through the two half pieces. And it was as if they were saying, let what happened to me, what, what happened to this animal happen to me if I don't keep my promise, let me be cut in half. We saw this imagery used with Abraham. God uses it. Then in the book of Hebrews, he picks up, Paul picks this language up in chapter 3. Listen along. When God made his promise to Abraham, he swore by himself, since there was no one greater to swear by. He said to Abraham, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. People swear by something greater than themselves, and then the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two immutable things, two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. As if God's promise isn't good enough, right? He stoops down and makes an oath so that by two immutable things, two impossible to change things, we can have ultimate assurance and hope in his promises. Come on and say amen if that's good news. The book of Hebrews goes on to tell us that this hope is like an anchor for our souls, unmovable, completely sure and steadfast. That anchor has entered within the veil of the temple where our forerunner Jesus has entered for us. The promise, an oath made by Ruth, a type of God's promise and oath, were meant to greatly encourage Naomi. God's promise and oath are meant to greatly encourage you. In your brightest, happiest times, in your darkest hours, God will be with you, although unseen. And so the two women returned to the house of bread. Although Naomi had reasons to be encouraged, she was still in a state of depression and told the ladies in Bethlehem, don't call me sweet Naomi, call me bitter Mara. She felt as if she was empty, but if she had looked with the eyes of faith, she would have seen one right by her side. The chapter ends with a twist of fate. Although Naomi was feeling empty, they're returning at the time of the barley harvest, a time of joy, 
and feasting and fullness. Now, there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth said to Naomi, Who is kind enough to let me do it? All right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in the field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father in law, Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. He said, the Lord bless you. The harvester replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman. Who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied. She is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest and shelter. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young woman working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting, and they follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly, and when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness? She asked. I am only a foreigner. Yes, I know. Boaz replied. But I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. I hope I continue to please you, sir. She replied. You have comforted my, me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. At mealtime, Boaz called to her. Come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with his harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some left over. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men. Let, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her, and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. So Ruth gathered barley there all day. And when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. She carried it back into the town and showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over from her meal. Where do you gather all this grain today? Naomi asked. Where do you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had work, she said. The man I worked with today is named Boaz. May the Lord bless him. Naomi told her mother, daughter-in-law. 
He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Then Ruth said, What's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. Naomi exclaimed, Good, do as he said, my daughter. Stay with his young woman right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe with him. So Ruth worked alongside the woman in Boaz's field and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in early summer and all the wires to live with her mother-in-law. All right, well, it's the time of the barley harvest in chapter 2, and we see things starting to change for Ruth and Naomi as a redeemer, a near kinsman, comes into the picture, of course, picturing our redeemer, Jesus. One thing does not change, however, and that is the continued glimpses of the loving kindness of God. This time we see that love through God's providence, through Ruth again, but now also through Boaz. Was it merely coincidence that of all the fields that were being harvested, Ruth would end up in a field belonging to Boaz, who was related to Elimelech? Don't think so. I see some heads shaking. Was it merely coincidence that Boaz just happened to be in that field that day and happened to notice Ruth? No, no, no. This was God's loving kindness in action. Never will you and I know how many times God's providence has lovingly saved us from danger or connected us with those who would do us good for eternity. We see God's loving kindness in the way that Boaz treats his employees. After all, it's not how we look Sabbath morning when we come to church that counts, but how we treat others all week long in our places of employment. Boaz goes on then to reveal God's loving protection and provision, even for a hated race. Ruth responds with true faith as she bows with her face to the ground in awe and appreciation of the loving kindness shown to her. Boaz... In turn, uses the metaphor of a mother bird zealously protecting her young. And we sang about that in one of the songs. I don't know if you guys had planned that or that just happened, but God is good either way. God is referred to here as the one under whose wings Ruth has come for refuge. We can only imagine the surprise and joy in the heart of Naomi when Ruth made it home at the end of a long day and told her whose field she had been working in, Boaz. After hearing the story, all Naomi could say is, may the Lord God bless him because he has not stopped pouring out his loving kindness. That's that word in the Hebrew has said. Boaz has shown God's love to us, Naomi said, and by extension, he has shown his love to our dead husbands by taking care of us as widows. And get this, Ruth, Boaz is related to my deceased husband, Elimelech. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. One day, one day, Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you, so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his worker. Tonight he'll be winnowing barley at the dressing floor. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume, and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the dressing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished his meal. 
Be sure to notice where he lies down, then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He'll tell you what to do. I'll do everything you say. So she went down to the dressing floor that night and followed the instruction of her mother-in-law. After Boaz has finished his meal and was in good spirit, he lay down at the far end of a pyre of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before by not running after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town who knows you are a victorious woman, but while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is one problem. There is another man who is more closer related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will take talk to him if he is willing to redeem you very well let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lay down here until morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until morning. But she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other, for Boaz has said. <clears throat> no one must know that a woman was here at the thrashing floor. Then Boaz said to her, Bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the town. Then Ruth went back to her mother-in-law. Naomi asked, What happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. He gave me these six scoops of barley and said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. All right, well, that's Ruth chapter three. And here we have a picture of God's loving salvation and the human response through the metaphor of marriage. Naomi's greatest wish was that Ruth would have rest or peace. Paul in the New Testament tells us, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. To receive this peace, we must by faith throw ourselves at the feet of the Redeemer, like she did. And as we have seen in this story. So Naomi said to Ruth, prepare yourself to receive the rest of righteousness by faith. 
Prepare yourself to receive the covering, that beautiful robe woven in the loom of heaven. Prepare yourself to receive the covering that only the Redeemer can provide. Oh yes, put on your best garment, but realizing that your best garment is not good enough, you must have the covering of another. The garment that the Redeemer Boaz covers Ruth with represents the righteousness of Christ, his perfect life. Like we saw in chapter 2, you must be like a baby bird that is safely abiding underneath the wings of its mother. You must abide under the wings of the Almighty. Follow the Redeemer by faith, Ruth. Throw yourself in surrender and submission at his feet. To all this, Ruth said, Amen, I will do everything you say. And Ruth, when the Redeemer asks your name, just tell him that you are Ruth, his loyal servant. And then ask him to cover you. Again, this covering is also symbolized in marriage in the book of Revelation. It is there that God's last day church has finally ready, readied herself to consummate the marriage. For she has accepted the gift of the spotless righteousness of Christ, that covering, his perfect life, his perfect faith. Ruth asks to be covered with the garment of the Redeemer. That's what we're seeing here. Boaz then in verse 11 tells Ruth, do not fear. He tells her that his promises are sure and he declares her virtuous or righteous. And just when we think all is well, this story is going well, Boaz breaks the news to Ruth. There's something that stands between or in the way of me being your redeemer. Before you can be redeemed, a price must be paid. I must become your nearest of kin. In the larger sense, of course, Christ must first become our nearest of kin in order to redeem us or buy us back. The chapter begins with Naomi's desire for Ruth to experience God's rest. The chapter ends with Boaz's unwillingness to rest, as our Redeemer, unwillingness to rest until the redemption is complete. Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Just then the family Redeemer he had mentioned came by, so Boaz called out to him. Come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi, who came back from Moab? She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of the, these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I'm the next in line to redeem it after you. All right, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz told him. Of course, your purchase of land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. 
Then I can't redeem it. The family redeemer replied, Because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. Now in those days, it was a custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sender and then to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction, so the other family redeemer drew off his sender as he said to Boaz, You buy the land. Then Boaz said to the elder and to the crowd standing around, You... <laughs> You are witnesses that today I have brought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon, and which the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in the hometown. You are all witnesses today. Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate reply, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home, like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman, who will be like those of our ancestor Perez and son of Tamar and Judah. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman, and then the woman of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has not provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law, who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were, on, if he were her own. The, na the neighbor woman said, now, now at least Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. This is the genealogy genealogical record of their ancestor Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. David was in the royal line of the ultimate family redeemer, Jesus himself. Well, can I get a hearty amen for Battle Creek Academy? What a blessing. Oh, great. Great job. Thank you so much. They were maybe a little bit nervous at the first, but they did great. Fantastic. So now we enter the fourth and final chapter. And we find Boaz work as a redeemer begins at the town gate. That would be the common place where business and transactions are taking place. Remember, the redeemer works while the redeemed rests by faith in him. Several laws and customs were kind of intermingled here in the proceedings which led to the marriage of Boaz and Ruth. 
and the redemption of the land. As you remember, Ruth had originally married Mahlon, the son of Elimelech and Naomi. Now Naomi and Ruth are selling the land that belonged to Elimelech, and customarily the nearest of kin would have the first option to buy it. In this case, if he were to buy the land, he must also raise up the name of the dead who owned it previously, or that is, carry on the name. How does he do that? Well, by marrying the widow and giving her children. And so it was simple. The nearest of kin would buy the land and marry the relative, give her children that would carry on the family name. And name meant so much in this culture. It wasn't just about having someone else in the world that had your last name. It had to do with one's reputation and status. It also had to do with inheritance. With this background in mind, follow the story closely. The nearest of kin, in this case, is one who has no name. The Hebrew, it's Paloni Almoni, which means what's his face, or old so-and-so. There was, there was no name given here, and, and all these other names were clearly understood, and it's probably true that Boaz knew his name, but there was no name given, and there's a reason for that as we go on. So Boaz sits at the gate in front of the elders and explains the story to what's-his-face. At first, the thought of having the land was very appealing to him, looking only to expand his own estate. But then, when the man with no name realized that there was a risk involved, he said no. After all, he didn't want to tarnish his great name, which nobody knew. He also didn't want to risk his inheritance by connecting himself to a heathen sinner like Ruth. But think of the contrast now. Think of Boaz, highly esteemed, known throughout the village, the Redeemer. The man who everyone knew well was willing to risk his spotless name and his lavish inheritance. This, of course, is the story of our Redeemer, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to become our nearest of kin. He came all the way down. He must leave the unlimited riches of heaven and become a man among men. He must become one of us. And he must become us. He did not come to give help to angels, but to us. Although always fully God, he had to be made like us in every way that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Jesus became our nearest of kin, and the risk was enormous. He left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny, on the lonely hill of Golgotha, where he laid down his life for me. If that isn't love. The cost was enormous. He could have fallen and tarnished his name, his name that is above every name. But he wasn't worried about his name. He was worried about redeeming you. And he did it. I've been redeemed. You've been redeemed. You've been bought back at an infinite cost. One more application here before we close. Jesus said three times in the New Testament, different circumstances, interestingly enough, that whosoever will save his life will what? Lose it. 
Whoever will save his life, his reputation, his name in this life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will gain it to eternal life. For what good is it if a man gains a great status, a great name, if he gains the things of this world but loses his own soul? In our narrative, the man who had no name was so worried about his name and the things of the world that no one will ever know his name. And we can only hope that he will have a heavenly reward someday. On the contrary, Boaz, a type of Christ, our loving Redeemer, was willing to step down and risk everything. And he has an enduring name. Well, the child's name was Obed. What an interesting life he must have lived to be the son of the one that would be the type of the Redeemer and the grandfather of the one who would be the type of the true king, David. By faith, by throwing herself in surrender at the feet of the Redeemer, Ruth the Moabite now is also found in the lineage of the mighty Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, if you're here today or if you're listening somewhere, you can have the assurance that you are not a dead end. You're not without hope, not without value, not without purpose. God has emptied the treasury of heaven to save you. He believes that you are worth that much. The Savior is near, not afar off. He's near to every one of us today. He is waiting to cover you with his wings and his garment of righteousness. Won't you choose today to throw yourself in full surrender at his feet? How many of you want to do that again today? If that is your decision, please stand. As we sing our closing hymn, A Child of the King.
Amen. Let's pray to close. Oh, indeed, Father, we are so grateful that we have a Redeemer today, our Lord Jesus Christ, one who came near, one who is willing to cover us under his wings and cover us with his garment of righteousness. Oh, Lord, may not one of us leave this place without that assurance that you have done just that. Lord, change us, make us into your beautiful image. Use us, Lord, to tell others about the covering that they can receive in these last days when there's so little hope, so little peace, so little assurance. We have a message to take to the world. Please, Lord, equip us because we don't feel worthy to be able to do it, but it's your worthiness and it's in your name that we go. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you May has his face shine upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.